little town It's a quiet village Every day like the one before Little town full of little people Waking up to say Bonjour! Bonjour! Welcome back to the Dole Whip and Dreams podcast. Thank you for tuning in after our one year anniversary the last time. Now, don't forget, each week we are releasing Inklings every day with our friends at Isolation Cast. By friends, I just mean me. So I had a few episodes tucked away and two of them really just stood out as ones that I really wanted you all to hear that I enjoyed hanging out with these people. So the first one of those is going to be our conversation on Beauty and the Beast. But no one flexes like the gay Gaston and no one smolders like the gay Gaston. Yes, he's the gay Gaston and I had to bring him back for you all again because some of you thirsty, thirsty dreamers requested him. So enjoy our episode right after this. Do you wake up every morning, roll over, and check your favorite social media feed, only finding that you wish you'd never looked at all? Well, Inklings is here to lift those doldrums during month of November. Inklings is a fictional short story podcast that will run daily on weekdays during the month of November from Dreamer Productions, the Dolp and Dreams podcast, and Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine. Let your mind run to its deepest desires in the isolation of imagination. The stories will run two to ten minutes, so take a break for yourself and enjoy Inklings, your daily short story indulgence. You can find Inkling by liking and subscribing the Dollop and Dreams podcast, as well as Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back, dreamers. There is no other guy like the gay Gaston. You all wanted more of him, and I am delivering. I'm so excited we have you back on the show. Hi, how are you? I am doing good. We're recording this from quarantine. You know, we're like three months. Th- <laughs> we're, we're recording this like three or four months in, and uh, you and I chat a lot, and I was super excited to get you back on the show and to talk about uh, one of my favorites, and I believe your favorite. Um, and so we are talking about Beauty and the Beast today, which the audience already knows because they listen to pre-show. Um, but in case someone did not hear our amazing Hercules episode, why don't you introduce yourself and give the audience a little preview about who you are? Sure. So, um, well, I am... My name is Michael, but um, on Instagram, I go by the Gigaston. Um, I started to kind of get into a little bit of modeling just because it's something that I've always wanted to do. And, um, and like, my photos were getting a little more scandalous, I guess, than my family or work uh, needed to see or cared to see. So um, my 
lovely boss suggested perhaps me making a separate account. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I did. So I wanted it to be something, one, Disney-related, just because I'm a Disney fanatic, something gay. And, um, I mean, Gaston is by no means a favorite character of mine. I, I, I think he's a jerk and he's not even like that fun of a villain. Like if <clears throat> villains are like Yzma, great. Ursula, hilarious. Hades, great. Like easily lovable. Um, <clears throat> Gaston just literally is a jerk. Oh, Everything yeah. So he's not even like, but... That body hair did get me <laughs> growing up. So, um, and like I have said, like I think that was like one of my like sexual or like awakening moments of like just him ripping open his chest hair and me being at the age of like five or six, like, ah, like, <laughs> what's this? <laughs> so, um, I was in the biceps and the everything and his expectorating and who knows no, who knows yeah. uh, but anyway so I and I have like my own hairy chest so that's where the gay Gaston came in um and I mean the the reason why I pushed that account and tried to get it uh popular and get a big following base um is not like purely self-indulgent or purely mm-hmm. like uh the ego or anything like that I, I'm working on a musical that I'm writing and presumed that, well, one, when it gets to a point to be produced, I want to be able to be a producer on it, like even like a junior or co-producer or something, just because, I mean, as a writer, otherwise you like get paid for the rights of your script and then you like kind of, they take it from you and you wash your hands of it. And not that, and then, like, if it goes on to be a huge financial success, then you no longer get any portion of that, I guess. Um, which is, like, kind of important, yes, sure. But I, my more motivation more than the money really would be just to be involved with its, like, where it goes and what it becomes and all of that. And, like, I mean, it's a very – something that, like, is important to me to say. I mean, the overall, like – focus of the show so I, it's something that I want to be done right and properly and I mean do I have the I don't know I mean obviously I'm open to other people's perspectives and what I love about musical theater so much is that it is so collaborative so I'm not like a tyrant of like this is what like I'm gonna be like the I don't know like, like you know but uh, I mean you get the gist of what I mean so I, that was why I have hopefully made this thinking that if I had a big enough following on Instagram, then when it comes to that point, I can do like a GoFundMe or Kickstarter or something of that sort. Or maybe I just have like a follower that happens to be a producer or someone who would want to get involved or who knows or whatever the case may be. So that was um, my motivation and it's grown and grown and grown. And next thing I knew I had 30,000, 40,000, 60,000, a hundred thousand followers. And I mean, yes, I'd feed into it with the thirst for sure. Um, but it took off more than I ever imagined. And I'm grateful for my little Bim Betson fans who now follow me on Patreon and who support all the crazy, stupid little, and then it like allows me to work with a lot of awesome people, allows me to like, 
I did a gallery show, which was great. I'm trying to organize a little meetup, a gay meetup on the Disney cruise. I mean, I work, my real job is a concierge at a hotel and I went to school for hospitality and like getting to find new ways to kind of use what I've learned there other than concierge, like to the idea of maybe putting together a big meetup on the gate on the Disney cruise. Um, or, and I had that planned initially for the September. Um, I've called that the gay gathering and it has a little Instagram and whatever, but, um, it, I don't think September is an ideal time now to do my little first one. Um, I think people are hesitant to get on a ship with 90,000 people. It's been nice to like get to revisit movies, and I have to tell you, I was watching this at like midnight the other night, and I smiled and I sang along to the whole thing quietly because everybody was asleep. But like, getting to rewatch this one actually brought me so much joy. And this is my sibling's favorite movie, Bella's Her Princess. And so like, but I and I told her the next morning, I was like. I always forget how fucking much I love Beauty and the Beast and how enjoyable and good this is. And it just makes me feel good, which ultimately, at the end of the day, isn't that really what Disney movies are meant to do? Like, that's what they do. And I think that's why there's such nostalgia with because this is like second movie of the Disney Renaissance. It launched in it went hard and it went strong. And it is so, so good. So good. I mean, it's so, before we and you were like, "Oh, it's probably your favorite." It's actually not my favorite. I, uh, oh. Ah, drum. Oh, Little Mermaid, right? Little Mermaid is your favorite. Mermaid's yeah, my number yeah. one. Yeah. I would say uh, Mermaid, then Hercules, then uh, Goofy movie, then Princess and the Frog, and then Beauty and the Beast. So Beauty and the Beast is yeah. my five. It's in my top five. That, that is a great top five. That is also that is pretty close to my top five as well. I think that's that's pretty pretty close to my top five. Beauty and the Beast, I, I think, is arguably like a better film, like than the other ones. But the other ones just have like more nostalgia for me. Like Beauty, like Little Mermaid, I think was one of the first movies I've seen, maybe in theaters or whatever. And I like that opening. Like music and credit, like I always associate that with Disney in my head, like that. Me too. And um, also, like Goofy movie. Just growing up, I watched that movie more times than any other movie. Like in the like thousands of times. Like I would watch it repeated, repeated. Like until I mm-hmm. stepped stepped on the VHS and cracked it in half. Uh, I was like devastated, and my mom refused to buy me a new one. Like she was like. <laughs> Can I tell you, I finally found um, uh, Once Upon a Tea, who does weekly t-shirts. They did a full four set of Powerline shirts this week. And they were designs I'd seen before from other, from artists that I work with. But nobody ever has plus size shirts. And the Goofy movie is mi- arguably my favorite movie of the 90s. And it... It is so important to me, and I've literally always so sad that I haven't found a shirt. And I finally got a Powerline shirt, so like I might have also just bought a jacket that matches the color scheme of the Powerline shirt to wear. Uh, yeah, because I was like, you know what? It'll be 105 degrees, but I will look so cute for a fat kid in this jacket. I don't care. Um, so let's jump in. One of my favorite pops of all time, Powerline. Oh, the Powerline. I have him on my desk as well. I love the, oh, I just listen. You can listen. We might have to do of like a Funko Pop episode because I could just talk Funko Pops for 12,000 12, years. Um, okay, but um, the Zeus one, did you see the Zeus with with the baby Pegasus, the, the cloud? Yes, yes, but like what a daddy. And second of all, um, mm-hmm. 
that Pegasus was the selling point for me. I was like, you know what's the last thing on earth I need? Another pop. But I'm getting it. <laughs> oh, that was, you can't see at home, people, but I'm holding up my, my Mattel Baby Yoda plush, which is the best of the plushes of all of them. But I saw him and he was pre-ordered. He'd been out everywhere else and Best Buy had pre-orders. And I was like, I don't need it. I'm literally moving, but I don't need it. But here we are. <laughs> I've been doing good during this about buying a Funko Pop. I think I bought like the brothers from... The brothers from Onward, be, you know, this will be like right at the beginning of, of November when we get this out. Well, if you need um, someone for Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time, I actually like that movie. No. <laughs> um, I don't want to call you out, but I literally just recorded an episode of that like two weeks ago with Jimmy Scherfe. Like, <laughs> one, I like that movie, except the fact that Cinderella doesn't have a nose in it. But, um, okay, yes, I will agree with you. But I agree with you. I've never seen it, and I hate those direct-to-home video sequels, but it was so good. Um, I, I need... Sequels, I just finally watched um, The Beauty of Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, for the first... Oh, Tim, Cur- Tim Curry's and Brenda Bette Peters. I love them both. They're so good in that. And I'm like, just... why does this piano literally look like nothing else in the rest of the movie? Like, literally, <laughs> there's not even Cause... an attempt to try to... Uh, because the Toon Disney made it, so it was the, you know, it was the online, or it was the, um, the, they were using more CG, they were the ones that made the TV stuff. So, I love that you brought up the opening of this movie, so I want to jump in and we're going to start with production side of things. This is, for me, something that I remember, th- I know I saw this in theaters, I remember seeing it in movie theaters, I was like, five, s- maybe six, um, I was five. Because I had seen Little Mermaid at home, and they took me to see this in theaters. And um, I remember sitting in my seat, and the Disney logo played, and then you, you launch in with that score into the forest approaching the castle. And it, um, you know, I just, uh, I just recorded Mulan with our friend Kevin, and it was the same thing that I said about that, that the opening of that movie, th- this is this Disney Renaissance thing where they have such powerful openings to these movies that just stick with you, and this prologue is so impressive. It's 90 seconds, it gives you exactly what you need to know to start into this movie, and have no questions top to toe as to why we're telling the story and what story we're telling, which I think is so, and I think after all these years, it's stuck with people because the visuals of the stained glass Oh, and it's something that I worked on a production of the musical. And don't worry, folks, we will get to the musical uh, at the end of the episode. Um, but it's the one thing in the musical that I know it's really hard to replicate is that prologue because you have to have it there. It's really important. But like the narration with a uh, with a frozen stained glass is so impactful and it's stylistically so beautiful. Um I almost wish some of the movie looked more like the the stained glass, but you know it's one of those that it it is just it it hits you where it needs to hit you in order for you to be locked in and loaded to go through the whole movie. Um, all I can say is I agree. 
<laughs> um, and uh, but the transition also that can we talk about that disaster? It's not a disaster because I love the logo, but the Beauty and the Beast logo is the most painfully 1990 thing about this movie. Um, other than like maybe the cut of Belle's dress and things are also very 90s, but like it's that hard stone beast with the beautiful red calligraphy of uh, uh, Beauty and the Beast. But it is one, it's hard to replicate, so it was smart for Disney. Um, but, you know, this was also, like, there were... So you the beautician and the beast with Fran Drescher, then they can replicate that logo. It's true. It's true. They probably paid They probably paid a lot of money for that font. It's a, a, a font that I am not willing to pay for. Um, so we'll get a bootleg font on the marketing for this episode. Um, but, you know, and then it's that soft blackout into the logo, into the, into the kind of lights-up moment of Belle coming out of her odd little home um and something that again i think it's really smart bell in this light blue this cerulean blue if we take a a a page out of the miranda Priestley book um it is this beautiful blue with a white apron it's super simple um and she's in a flat which disney always puts her in a little biscuit laduka character heel which i hate um you know, in the parks, but it transitions into this wonderful, wonderful song as we start. Um, uh, and I think all of the beginning aspects of this movie set us up so much for success. Um, and kind of launch. Yeah. And, and kind of launching us right into a song. Also, it's super important because it's doing, it's a showing and telling where we see the village. We get to know the people, we get to know Belle and we get to know the antagonist within two and a half minutes. Like there are all these things that are really important about that they do at the beginning of this that I think are so successful. And that opening song one lends itself really well to great parodies. I do not know if you've seen all the Todrick Hall ones, but if you have not, go see them. Anyone. I have beauty in the beat, beauty in the boots house down. I love, I there's the like the like kind of like more ghetto version. And there's like the Uh gay version. And I don't know which Mm -hmm. is funnier, but they are both gold. I think that, you know, I can say a lot of things about Todrick Hall as a person, but let me tell you as a parody songwriter, also, just as a songwriter, because like talking about straight out of Oz for a second is one of the most breathtaking things I've ever experienced top to bottom. I love it so much. Um, but Todrick also really he you can tell he loves Disney so much in in the beauty of his parody and kind of the success of his parody. And so if you all haven't seen it, I go recommend watching both of them. If you just YouTube Todrick Beauty and the Beast, it'll, it'll pop up. It's so funny. And then also have how many COVID uh, remakes? Oh, Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, the, the gays all think they're so creative, but we're looking at y'all, you Hell's Kitchen gays. I see you, you LA gays. I see you, but it's fine. We love you. It's good. Yeah, how many people <laughs> sent that meme that like no one quarantines like Gaston, cleans oh, like Gaston, whatever the hell that one was? I got it sent course. to me seventy five thousand and twelve times. <laughs> Uh, you know, because people, again, are so original. They think they're the first person that's saying it. It's funny. Oh, honest. Yeah. I, Sweet of them to think of me and send it. I'm not saying that they're not original. I mean, we all have the same. Uh, same Internet. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and honestly, once the way face, yeah. Well, once with the way Facebook and Instagram algorithms work, once something really gets a lot of likes from someone else, it's shared and everybody loves it. And also, like, we all needed things that made us laugh so hard back in March when we all went into quarantine that, like, it made sense. Also, because Disney Plus was out, and I think they could not have launched their that and Animal Crossing could not have launched at better times. I know Animal, I know Disney Plus has been out since. November, but like, I know so many people that were like, oh, I haven't gotten it yet, but this quarantine signed up on the second day, and I was like, oh, they got you, girl. They got you. They got you, girl. <laughs> it came out, and like, pre-ordered oh, it, this and that, blah, 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 but I was so busy, I never really got to watch anything on it until now. Like, mm-hmm. anytime, like, I'm usually, like, running, 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 seeing shows, this, that, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. like, my job, my volunteering, my this, that, my, like, photo shoots, the gym. Like, I would get home and go to watch something and then fall asleep before the credits even finish. Yep. So yep. now yep. I'm glad to, like, have had some time to actually, like, finally watch The Mandalorian. Finally, wa- like, <sighs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you. And so... What are some things for you other, you know, the two things that we mentioned, which, you know, kind of start off this movie in a really great way. And we also get to know a lot about Belle and there's some fun Disney little um, uh, Easter eggs as well. Like the fact that like it is a screenshot from Sleeping Beauty in her book is so wonderful. There are all these little, oh yeah, when she's sitting on the fountain, if you look, it's the, it's a, it, it's like a watercolor version, but it's the, the shot of Aurora in the woods when Philip sees her for the first time. Um, and it's really great. Yeah. It's my uh, first boyfriend. He used to get so mad when he was little, or this is what he told me anyway, when the sheep rips the page out of the book, because he like loved the book so much. And, like he, like it was such a dorky kid that that was, that would be what would piss him off as a child oh i love that (laughs) but what are some things production wise just as a movie that makes this stand out for you and you think um again because we talk about effective versus ineffective versus good or bad uh because good and bad can be so subjective but what are some things that you just think work really effectively in this movie um well as you were saying the setup is like precision whether like between the prologue as you said and that first song as you said establishing like the town and establishing her as a character and then you have that reprise with her spinning in the um field it's like one of the most like iconic and beautiful i think just also that technique of sweeping views that happens like particularly right then and then also during like tale as old as time like under the mm-hmm. chandelier like those sweeping visuals are so magnificent and beautiful and mm-hmm. so well done um also i think it just has so many well created characters like the mm-hmm. like ensemble between like Cogsworth, Lumiere, Mrs. Potts, Chip, everyone, like, you just love Mm -hmm. them all. And I think that that also Mm -hmm. furthers your investment. Um, Even the dresser. What's her name in the show? Madame Le... Oh, uh, La La Grand Bouche, yes. Uh, Yeah. Joanna Worley, who is a dream shout out to Nina West for being her on on Snatch Game on her season so did you see my all time favorite musical of all time sorry tangent is the Drowsy Chaperone uh huh okay. I saw Joanna Worley in that so uh, when I got to see it wait the original role 
So that was Mrs. Tottendale. Was played by um, Georgia Angle, you know, from like Mary mm-hmm. Tyler Moore. Mm-hmm. Or is it Mary Tyler Moore she was in? Yeah, right? Yes, I think so. Someone at home will correct us if, we, if we're wrong. But she's, <laughs> she's like the most soft-spoken, mousy, quiet-like person. Mm-hmm. And then she leaves the cast. Let's replace her with Joanne Worley, the complete opposite. Like the most loud. I'm like, wait, how did how like I'm interesting recasting. But Joanne Worley was so fun. Well, and she 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 uh, uh, created the walking into a room with a high note before Kristen Chenoweth did, which I just I and, you know, it's one of those that she's such a small role in this, but she's such a great character. Look at your tiki. (laughs) Um, But like it's she's such a small role, but you're right that they all the casting is perfect. I don't think there's anyone who is out of place in this movie casting wise. And I think they all play such a beautiful role with without being archetypes like they fill an archetypal role within a story especially in a fairy tale but they were developed and i think that's really interesting considering beauty and the beast about a year and a half before it came out less than a year jeffrey katzenberg made them scrap the entire original movie and start from scratch um i believe it's yesterworld or defunct land on youtube do an amazing video about five disney movies that were not the way they were when you got them Beauty and the Beast was another one. It had been in development for most of the 80s, and it had a very different version that was also looked very more than, it looked very much more like aristocratic French, like it looked like Marie Antoinette. Belle had a mother at one point who was alive. She had sisters. There were all these different things, and it just wasn't working. And so I'm not a fan of Jeffrey Katzenberg, but it's one of those interesting things that between... This being um, uh, Howard Ashman's last film with Disney, and he wouldn't even get to see... Well, not last film. Aladdin would be there, too, but this one would be the one that he passed about six months before it opened, um, and this movie was dedicated to him. He was also a producer on this movie, because he really pushed this film. Um, You know, it's one of those things that, thinking about how perfect this movie is, considering they threw it together kind of quickly and last second for as far as animated movies go. And you talked about those kind of sweeping moments. You know, this is when we're getting to use computer technology for the first time. And it's really subtle in a lot of these films. And those moments are too where they use that computer animation and it's so successful. And um, again, something that still sets Disney movies apart as animated features are they are still looked at as being filmed like a movie, not, not captured like a cartoon. And I think storytelling wise, production wise and impact wise, those are things that like stay with us and make these movies so successful. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And like this movie does it arguably better than, almost any of the other I mean it's the only the only or was the first I guess animated movie right nominated for best Oscar yes yes the fact one I think it could have very easily won I think that I mean the fact that it lost to Silence of the Lambs like could you get any two different movies like um, but the fact that to get that no just to get that sort of recognition is, I mean, one deserved, but like, like, I don't know, great, 
think. Oh yeah. Well, and this movie watches like a live action movie would. And and there was a lot of, you know, the the Ron Perlman Beauty and the Beast television show had been out in the late 80s and we were seeing a resurgence in fairy tales and these stories and this is not particularly a children's story. And so again, I think they approached this movie in a way that was beyond just making a cartoon for kids. They were making a movie for families. They were making a movie for people, just all people to go see. And it's success. It's one of the reasons why this movie is successful. Um, for me, another thing that really stands out is the score, both the movie score and the musical score. And that beautiful combination between the two are just, it makes sense to me why this was the first Disney theatricals musical. One, because Alan Menken and Howard Ashman always wrote way more songs than where we put in. It's like a Bobby and Kristen Lopez uh, uh, geesh now, where like they write way more than you actually need and then it all gets cut down and we all go, wait, why did that get cut? Um, and, I mean, the know, song Home. I don't know if that was originally written for the musical or originally in the show and then cut. I have no idea. Well, so it's underscored. Home is underscored in the animated film. A lot of the songs that got cut. Yeah, because home is beautiful. I actually can't imagine. Imagine. I I can't imagine Paige O'Hara singing it, though, which is the thing for me, because I love Susan Egan singing it so much. And so I I got to go to. you know how they do like the Broadway the Princess, Princess Party? Party. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, if, if anyone doesn't know, it's like Laura Osnes, um, uh, Courtney Reed, who was the original mm-hmm. um, jazz drummer on Broadway, and um, Susan Egan, I guess, is almost as much of a staple now as they are in it. Yeah. Um, and um, oh my God, what's his name? Jeremy Jordan. No, no, no. The pianist, the guy who put it all together. Um, oh. It's not Brian Nash. It's not Brian Nash, is it? No, 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 no. Um, hold on, let me look him up because he deserves the recognition. He's a good friend of mine. Um, I'm just terrible with names. Um, You're uh, Jesus Christ, Princess Party. Um, but anyway, they they tour around and invite mm-hmm. other Disney princesses to join in, and it is the just one of the most fun things you can do. Um, mm-hmm. And I the I went to one that was like shortly after... Um, sh- oh, it's Benjamin Ruala, which... Un- oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's like the one who like kind of put that all together and he's their uh, musical arranger and he's so, so, so great. Um, but the... Um, one that I went to for the first time, I always wanted to go and they always sold out and I always never mm-hmm. like, I was like, eh, that'll be fun, but maybe it's a little cheesy, whatever. And then I went and literally everyone in the audience practically is wearing tiaras, boys, girls, everyone in between. And like the one that I went to was like a few days after comic con. So, so oh, like, yeah. or like the day after comic con. So all of the princess, like so many people were in town, like Jody Benson and whatever. Mm-hmm. And they were all there and I was just losing my um, and um, but the highlight of the whole thing by far was Susan Egan singing home and she sing, like to hear her sing it one live because I had never heard her sing it live mm-hmm. uh, I mean I don't know when I Beauty and the Beast was the first musical I ever saw and I remember going and coming to the city and going with my mom and my grandma 
and I don't remember if Susan Egan was in it. I feel like I vaguely remember Donny Osmond. So, and I don't think he was the original. Mm-hmm. No, he wasn't. So, no. the original Gaston, right? So, um, mm-hmm. I'm, so Susan Egan may have already been out by the time I got to see it. Mm-hmm. But um, to hear her do that live, and her voice now is like, like sounds almost better than it did, like on the recording. Mm-hmm. Like she just has so much heart and restraint, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. Anyway, I think that may be my favorite Beauty and the Beast song, and it's not even in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree with you. It is definitely one of my... Also, because I love to see what women will do with it, especially because it is this beautiful mix of a belt with a head voice moment, because um, it's so sweet, which, again, it's something... Paige O'Hara is very much... She's a cabaret singer, so she's very much a chess voice. She lives in her kind of mezzo-belt chess voice, mellow, mellow sop, mezzo-sop. And so, like, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that it... it, uh, it uh, yeah, it's it's such a beautiful moment. I wish it was in the the movie. I feel like it definitely was at one point. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's it's just so beautiful. And the score is so great. Also, because I find these are some of the most sung Disney songs. Like, people know these songs. Be Our Guest. I feel like the company has ridden on the back of this song since then. Like, it's it's used so much in Disney parks. It's, I mean, it's just used everywhere. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that, like... It's also, like, the even, things, like even people who are not, like, mm-hmm. Disney fans know them all mm-hmm. and love them all. And, yeah. Yeah, also, it's just, it is, it is the most Broadway. Like, this is, like, Little Mermaid was kind of, like, you can see where they were returning to or using a classical musical theater form. But Beauty and the Beast is the most iconic, like, Disney film structure around the classic musical theater structure. Um, classical musical theater, have you seen, do you watch Encore on Disney Plus? I do, I do. So I haven't, I, like... It's been on my like to watch list just because I feel like it would be like that feel good thing that I would. I mean, it's also going to be cheesy, I know, but it's like so many people are like, no, you need to watch the Beauty and the Beast episode. Just watch the Beauty and the Beast episode. And like after the twentieth oh, yeah. person told me, finally, I was just like, okay, fine, I'll skip ahead and watch this episode. And it is so good and so it's cute. It's so good. And like, yeah, it- if you don't watch Encore, just watch that episode at least. And then Susan Egan came in and like, I lost it. I was like, to see that. I, f- I feel like that had to be about the time they were filming this when she did the Hollywood bowl as Belle. Like she went back and played Belle again for the, I believe it was the Hollywood bowl. It was somewhere in California that she went back like two or three years ago and played Belle again, which everybody was like, really? And I was like, let her do it. Girl, sh- let let her do if it. If we're gonna um, let um, what's her face? Uh, who did I go see? Um, Little Shop of Horrors, Ellen Green. Oh, Ellen Green. Yeah, if we're gonna let Ellen Green come back and play Audrey in her sixties. Let Paige O'Hara, or not let let Susan Egan play Belle. But uh, by know, the way, and, Ellen and, Green, I literally have never in my life felt an audience so electric, like ever. Like the, the, like she walked out and the roof blew off that theater. And it's like her in a love relationship with Jake Gyllenhaal, who's what, like a a half her age maybe, but she was so good. So yeah, 
it's that yeah it's one of those things of like the power of musical theater that i believe when they were like oh yeah an audience's breath and heart sync up when you're watching a live show and i was like yes if anybody's seen a live piece of professional theater you understand this this is a thing that happens um and for me this is one of those moments of like i enjoy watching beauty and the beast with people because the whole room is there you're together you're present i don't look at my phone i because like a lot of times when i rewatch movies for this i'll be playing animal crossing i will check my phone and this i just like checked in i just like checked in and watched and it was i am yeah, so was, not that person like i can't like if i'm yeah. i just i think also partly because i never have or up until now it's quarantine I never have time to watch anything so whenever i like mm-hmm. finally have time and if i'm like you know what if this is like worthy of my time to watch it's gonna get 110 percent of my attention yeah. so like any tv show i'm not like like my phone is down in a way and i get like if a friend of mine I'm watching it with like look check the text message like I like can't even control the glare, the glare that I give. Them. What 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 are you doing? <laughs> I love that. Well, and this is just you know it's one of those that oh because even this goes into writing a little bit, but we won't jump into it. But even like the humor is just so well placed. The jokes are like because I never as a kid got the if it's not broke don't fix it. And I was just like, ha 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 ha. And my parents snickered at it. But like, as an adult, it's one of my favorite things. And I worked on a production of this two summers ago and our Cogsworth, uh, shout out to Bobby Farringer. He's so good. Um, but like, it just like, it was th- that moment where every night I always had to stifle myself backstage, getting ready for a bell quick change. Cause I always just went, <laughs> it's also a- like how great that Cogsworth can be like, even though he's so, like kind of annoying you still mm-hmm. like they still manage to give him enough depth for you to kind of understand oh, yeah. his like and there's just it's so great yeah it's so and this is oddly one of those films where i'm watching and i even every time i rewatch, i go there's not anything production wise like as a movie as a uh, as a creative myself there's nothing that i sit here and go huh that stands out that i just don't really watch um now i will tell you there's something i noticed this rewatch that i'd never noticed before and maybe it's because i was on an ipad or whatever the priest has a boner no (laughs) oh (laughs) Um, this is, but it's kind of like that. There's a lot more like adult moments throughout this. Like when, um, the Bimbets see, well, Lumiere, yes. But when, but when, well, and Babette, but when the Bimbets see, the silly girls see Gaston, one, those like, those like dangerously low cut non-period garments um but like their boobs shake like they have their own animation yeah i had never noticed that and i went that's so funny like that's so funny to me um by the way if anyone wants to be up in bet i have a patreon <laughs> no pitch it pitch it right now oh yeah, yeah. so um i have a patreon and i don't know if you know what patreon is it's kind of like um where like anyone who's like an artist or a podcast or a model or a photographer or whatever the case may be will you can support them uh by offering a pledge and in return you get access to all sorts of extra um content so i mean what i share on there i mean i usually have behind the scene videos of photo shoots i have like more personal videos i take do q and a's with them um i have like uh, definitely some naughtier stuff that I couldn't share on Instagram. I mean, I, I think people 
jump to conclusions and presume it's like mm-hmm. an OnlyFans for me or something like that, and it's not. And that, like, I'm, do I have any issue with nudity? No, not at all. I think that mm-hmm. like the human body is beautiful and should be shared and should not be censored. And um, but like, I'm also not like. So I mean, is there in changing during photo shoots and things like that? Is there a bit here and there? Sure, but like, it's like I get people who. I like have like if you're coming here purely for the sake of seeing me naked, don't like. Yeah. Just, <laughs> like I mean, I, like if you're one, like I don't know, because I I do projects and things that all cost money, and like I mean, mm-hmm. this helps and work with and photo shoots and things like that, and buy stupid costumes and things like that, and this helps support all of that. And um, but one of my tiers is the bimbets. Actually, the other tier, the highest tier, I like in addition to them getting the most access to stuff, they also, I write them each like a thank you letter and send them a Polaroid. And my return address is always um, from the poor provincial town. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. I love that. I feel like... Uh I'm waiting for the post office one day. They'll be like, not accepted. Like, they're like <laughs> you, you, you need a real return address. And that's when you get a P.O. box. That's when you get a P.O. box. Um, but yeah, definitely check out the K Gaston on Patreon. It is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, and you have, you have some very fun Gaston specific photos up there and on your Instagram. Uh, also with season 12 contestant RuPaul's Drag Race, Jackie Cox, a friend of the, a friend of your, your mine and a friend of the pod. Oh um, yeah. She, so. um, <laughs> We did some. Real, your bell. Yeah. We did uh, two photo shoots. Uh, yeah, that photo shoot is really great. So what we did is there's like a little progression. Like we did a alternate ending version. So there's like the first shot that we did was like Bell totally g- disgusted by Gaston, and then later on like Bell getting a little more intrigued by Gaston and his muscles, and then uh, him kind of winning her over, and then finally at the end like he uh, conquered her. Not necessarily. Uh, right. in any sort of sexual way but may, like he uh, she's her interest was piqued <laughs> she won he won her over but then the next sequel is LeFou trying to get Belle out of the way because LeFou loves Gaston because you can't you can't tell me he doesn't a little, a little, a little squirt um, but yeah so this is this is you know there are those moments and you know I always joke there's got to be something in it for the dads there's always the, the, you know because this is the 90s this is that kind of thought pattern and I went I you know and being a very very gay person I guess I just never noticed that but it's it's also just an animation thing that baffles me that like only Disney could do at this point like it's just it, it's these subtle it's so hu- like the bodies move in such a human way um and you know this is an interesting thing I mean, of, like Don's Harry's chest is just in there just as well <laughs> yeah it is well, and that's the thing. And like, we see all of like he's in really tight clothing. Like even that suit that like his wedding suit, it's so tight. Like it is. It would be classified as like Marco Marco fetish wear at this point. Like I, but like I love it. It's great. Believe but like, me, I know when I try to dress up like him, there's usually required censorship of uh, <laughs> three three dance belts on just so that we uh, you know Instagram doesn't take it down. Um, but uh, you. You know, it's one of those things that it's just, again, there there was, you know, Don Bluth had his studios and they were gaining speed. We were about to have Thumbelina, but there was just something about this movie and it was just so visually enhancing that, like, I don't actually think there's anything I dislike about it as a movie or, like, just from a production aspect. Um, my only 
thing is I would love to see more non-yellow dress bell and merchandise. I would love to see more blue dress bell. I would love pink dress bell. I would even love green dress bell that we get a little bit in this. Like I would just like to see bell in something other than the yellow dress because the yellow dress is it's it's kind of tacky. It's like it is the bell dress. It is beautiful and cascading. But like I would like to see the character. And this is again, it's not even about the movie. It's just about Disney and licensing. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's because I can't find things that I find wrong with this movie. Just like as a movie and as a production, I don't find anything wrong with this movie. So, um, I mean, the I, I just thought of when you were saying with going through her different uh, outfits um thank you my madame la grand bouche for having all those outfits in the- right in your size listen if it's an enchanted castle everything better fit me perfectly so but another sweeping moment i just thought of as you were saying those is the library when he walks her into that <sighs> that set a particular generation for girls and gays to have very high expectations for what men should be able to offer. <laughs> um, oh, there's another one of those funny joke moments. That, you know, we're not talking script yet, but like the, you know, when, when he's like, what can I do for her? And Cogsworth is like, flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. Which is, again, it's such a Disney. Those are like moments where Disney's parodying themselves as a genre, as a, as a studio, as a legacy. And they're just really smart. And David Ogden Steyer's who was super famous because of MASH, the TV show MASH. He played the um, priest in, in the camp. And nope, not the priest. I lied. He's one of the other doctors. He's And he's really stuffy on that, but he's like perfect as Cogsworth because they're a similar character. How um, funny. I just can't get over the fact that Lumiere is... Um, Jerry Orbach! I know. I'm like, law and order. Law and order. And Broadway. Broadway legend Jerry Orbach. Like the original Billy Flynn in Chicago, which again makes a ton of sense as Lumiere. It's like what happens if Billy Flynn were French? Like, and it's not a shitty French dialect either. So like, uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah. So honestly, I think this is a good point. Let's jump into casting and performances, I think, and then we'll get to story next. Um, but yeah, again, we've touched on this a little bit. And like, I don't even know who played Gaston. I can't even really think of his name offhand. Um, I have it up right here. Um, but it is, it is just so good. Like the cast is phenomenal. Even if we're just looking at like Angela Lansbury, David Augenstyers, Jerry Orbach. Like the guy who unreal. plays the guy who does Beast voice. Um, I guess he was a professor at NYU and my mm-hmm. friend Robbie Benson. and my friend had him, my friend who went to school for film, I guess had him as his professor. And he's like, the guy has a temper. And like when he would yell at the class, it literally was like the beast yelling at you. Like He's like, you totally hear it. And it is terrifying. Also, Robbie Benson is a daddy, like a daddy. Like he is fine like his headshot on on wikipedia which is what I, I remember seeing like video of him when he would do an interview or whatever and i'd be like drool this man intrigues me i don't know why oh yeah like seven-year-old me being like mm, i like this but i don't know why um and he kind of looks like he could turn into a beast like i would believe it he kind of looks like a werewolf i love it it's great um, um speaking of what those wolves i used to be so scared of <sighs> 
Okay, so yeah, absolutely terrifying. This movie is really scary in several aspects of it too. And I thought about that last night. Like, this is a time where like it's one of the only times where we legitimately fear for the life of a princess that she's just gonna get like her throat ripped out on screen. Like it's just um a thing and it is terrifying and it's animated really beautifully like the fear in her eyes we get so many up closes on Belle in this and her face is just so emotive and it's just so nice I'm always so curious in that part where she gets attacked by the wolves and then he comes and saves her and he gets attacked by the wolves or whatever and then she ends up bringing him back to the Mm -hmm. someone once asked me like I always wonder how did she get that huge body of the beast on the back of the horse. How? <laughs> Listen, it's, you know what? That's one of those moments we don't ask, but Philippe, you know what? Philippe can help too. Philippe is a good horse. We love Philippe. Um, I, I stand Philippe. He's one of my favorite characters that doesn't get enough love in this movie. Um, uh, um, but it's uh, just, yeah, was- yeah, you know, you're good. It's just, it's just, the cast is just phenomenal. And Paige O'Hara, she is the voice of a generation for a lot of women. And, like, a lot of women looked at Belle because even, like, Ariel was so closer to that archetype of a classic Disney princess, though she wanted to literally stretch her legs, if you will, um, and, like, explore. And she was vibrant and interesting. But there were still some, like teenage girl aspects about her where Belle is just so she's one. She's like the only woman that reads in this town. She's literate. She is strong willed. You know, it's, she set up Jasmine to be a really powerful character as well. And so there's a reason why I think so many women key in with Belle and really just see her as like their princess. Because let me tell you that Belle contingency of women who love Belle, they will fight you. They will fight you down. Like it, it's so. What's it I, called? I when, love Belle. I think she's great. What's it called when you fall in love with your captor? Um, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And so that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just putting that out there. Anyway, um, but the um, when you were talking briefly about Angela Lansbury a second ago, so that um, one, my friend Eddie wrote this book called Nothing Like a Dame, and it's mm-hmm. about Broadway dames. So each chapter is a different diva. Oh, and I've he had got like it on my shelf. He, I've got it on my shelf. Oh, yeah? I love that book. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, I'm credited in it. Look in the back. He thanks me. Um, but I he, <laughs> but he, why? I don't even remember. Well, one, I was there when he was editing all these chapters and all of that, and like, um, I did some little errands for him. Like one, uh, Adina Menzel was going to be at City uh, Carnegie Hall one day, and he like really wanted her to be in it, and like he was having a hard time getting her agent to like get his request to her you know mm-hmm. and like he knew that she got it but like she never really agreed so mm-hmm. he was like you know what and he lives by coastal half the time in LA half the time here and he was in LA and he's like um he didn't want to bother Adina and pester her and like whatever but he's like you know what I'm just gonna like send her some flowers and maybe if she sees my name on it she'll like remember oh wait he asked me to be in this book and whatever maybe whatever and like I mean he's very smart in the things that he does without like overstepping his ever <laughs> anyway he was in LA and he's like would you mind dropping off these flowers to Adina for me and signing it from me and I was like yeah sure whatever so I go over to Carnegie Hall to deliver the flowers and I, I go to the stage door just thinking they're going to take them from me and they're like oh no no yeah her dressing room's right down there go down the hall and put it. I'm like what I literally just walked into her dressing room and put the flowers there I'm like what <laughs> 
like literally gave them to her. I'm like, why are they letting me do this? What is this security at Carnegie Hall? Because <laughs> New York is a weird place, my dear. New York is a weird place. <laughs> um, but anyway, he has the Angela Lansbury chapter. One, um, so the chapters are pretty much a brief like rundown of their career and then like mm-hmm. a transcript of his interview with them. And uh, the interviews are all amazing because all these women are like, he really captures like a sense of who they are, how they speak and such. And then they just tell so many great stories in it. But his Angela Lansbury chapter is worth looking at just for the sake of this one photo he has of her with her leg up on the wall, literally doing a split against the wall. Like just something you would never imagine Angela Lansbury to do. But I remember going to his house one day and he's like, goes and checks his answering machine because who has an answering machine anymore? Um, but he did then. And like, so he goes over and checks it. And then the first message was from Angela Lansbury about her their interview and she's like hello Eddie this is Angela Lansbury and I'm like you have Mrs. Potts on your answering machine like never delete that never 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 delete it she is an international treasure like yeah yeah, yeah. and her voice is so um her so the only person I've ever seen that does a impersonation of her really is Christine Petty and yes. her vo- her at her impersonation of it is so 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 funny and then uh, just fast forward a minute so I got to go to um, there was like a Beauty and the Beast anniversary um, mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was the 25th anniversary 30th anniversary what 20th whatever it was but my ex uh, well we were dating at the time but he surprised me with tickets to it um, and it was like at the same theater where the movie premiered mm-hmm. all those years ago. And um, so they showed the movie and then they had a whole like Q&A with the whole cast. And then at, there was a surprise that wasn't really a surprise. I guess we all expected it. But Alan Menken came out and then he like played a few songs. And then Angela Lansbury sang Tale as Old as Time. And literally, like, I can't even tell you, my heart fell onto the floor. But I was sitting next to, of all people, Christine Petty, who, like, who, like, then, like, she was just falling out of her seat as much as I was, which made me, like, love her for, like, that. But then I was like, here's, like, I don't know. Anyway, long story. I love that. No, I, lo- I love those stories, and those are such New York stories. I love those. I love that so much. Actually, oh. we were about to ha- Oh, I One- was going to say, we're... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. One thing that um, that whole thing was magical that whole night, but um, the thing that I took away from it most, so Angela Lansbury, she was talking, and she said, um, and this is me, my terrible memory, trying to remember how she explained it, but she said, so they recorded the music in, I think, London with the like London Symphony playing the mm-hmm. music um so, so she flew from new york there and mid-flight her plane got taken down because of a bomb scare so they landed like in like iceland or greenland or wherever and like she's like and this is like late 80s whatever and she's mm-hmm. like having her heart like palpitate and just being so afraid that she's like on a plane that's gonna possibly explode and lose her life and all because she took this role and this is at a time before before disney was like had its renaissance it was like kind of like uh like should i really be doing this or not whatever she agreed to it and now like because she agreed to it she may possibly like lose her life due to it and then so they land the plane 
they evacuate everyone they inspect the plane head to toe whatever and then it turns out there's no bomb they get everyone back on the plane and they continue on to london but she lands like i don't know hours and hours later than she would have landed Mm -hmm. and also lands like in a state of like my life was just being like so so she lands and they're like well angela like will will record tomorrow like whatever like don't worry about it she's like no 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 no. she's like you have everyone here in the studio you have the whole friggin philharmonic here i'm not gonna make everyone come back tomorrow because of me like and granted like maybe i'm not in like the right mental state to like perform and record but like i don't want to make everyone have to come back and do this again and then (laughs) she records tale as old as time and she said that was her first take after all of that Oh my God. I can't, I can't imagine. Like those are those stories where I was like, that is why she is as famous and works as much as she does because they are professionals. All you kids out there that want to be musical theater stars or want to be actors. That is what it takes to be a professional. Red M&Ms. <laughs> All right. Need a Bonita Brown, which red M&Ms in your champagne. Um, but like, you know, it's just those things of like, this is, you know, this is after Murder, She Wrote had been on, but, like, she had also done Sweeney Todd. She'd had an epic theater career before she'd even been on TV and film, and so, like, this was this was a big deal, and, like, she was just so good, but it's, like, why a lot of these movies are great, because, again, Disney wasn't getting people who were voice actors, which, you know, a lot of my friends who are voice actors, you know, you can, you know, there could be problems with, but, like, you got, they got stars who were appropriate, or, you know, stars they got the friggin' London Philharmonic. They didn't just hire some. Right, right. It's just you know, it wasn't some high school band from San Bernardino. Like you know, it's it was a big deal. Like, and like they do everything right. And so again, I think this cast is just so good. And it didn't matter that the audience didn't know who Paige O'Hara was, even though she had won a Tony Award uh, for for Showboat and all these things. You know, it's just one of those that like it. It, it, the the cast is just so good and all of them are so right in their roles. And it's one of those, like when you recreate this as a musical, when we get there, so many people are stuck trying to do the Gaston voice or the bell voice or the beast voice because they think they need to recreate this iconic thing, but like they don't have to, that's a whole nother thing. But like this cast is just so, so, so good. Um, and I love that you talked, you brought up, um, Stockholm syndrome because it is what mo- people love to be flippant and they love to be salty about Disney because I think I don't know people just have this thing you either love it or hate it and even then I know you secretly love it but like you have to be that person everybody has to be that person and while now watching it we go yeah that was kind of a weird thing when you fall in love with your captor because it was this thing it's also a fairy tale so we need to disconnect just a little bit um but the story, I think it's really clear and concise from top to bottom. You know, there are a couple holes that as an adult I see now. But it's oddly, it's very fast. It's an 84-minute film, so it is just short of an hour and a half, which is a little long for a Disney animated feature of the time. Um, but I don't feel any points where I'm slower bored or where I was wanting more necessarily for needing to know how the story happens. I think they give us these beautiful scenes because like we talked about earlier, bang, boom, bam, we're at the castle in the first 20 minutes. Like bell is in prison by the 20 minute mark. And then, so that's 64 minutes that we get 
her story with the Beast, which is why I never really think about Stockholm Syndrome. I think of, oh, she actually, you know, she's the strong woman, and he actually realized he needed to change for her, not that she needed to change for him, which I think is important for us to talk about because she doesn't. She sticks to her guns, and she helps him when she doesn't need to. Um, and he realizes he's a piece of shit. <laughs> um, but I think this story, in the way they told it, they found moments to live in. Like, they let us live in some of these moments where we see conflict and we see things, but I don't feel like we're living there too long. Oh, uh, how awful that whole scene when, uh, one, Gaston convinces everyone that Lumi- that uh, Maurice is... Uh, and that Crazy. how creepy and how creepy is that man who works at the... Uh, I think the two creepiest things in the movie are one, that man who works at the Psycho Award, and two, yes. the, um, when that, like, when the beast sends Maurice back to the village. Is that what, and that, like, that, like. Yes! The, the, the coach! The weird coach! It's, it, that, like. Oh, it's so creepy. Um, I was like, that poor, also that poor coachman that must be the actual coach. That poor guy. What is that thing? I'm like, it's like a oven, like a, I have no idea what it was. I had legs and yeah. I mean, you say coach, it, but I like, I, I everyone knew what a, it was. I was like, yeah, I think it's like a coach without wheels. Like, but it, it, like, it made sense. Like, I feel like the wheel spokes broke or something. And I don't know. It feels like it would have been a carriage with wheels. It's from just a, horror, didn't have, a horror movie. It's from a nightmare. It absolutely is. Well, in between that and the wolves, like, this movie is, it is suspenseful. There are things that are off-putting. But I think that makes us fully enraptured in the story, which I think is really, really important. Is there anything for you that you either found wasn't effective storytelling-wise or you wish we had known more at that time? Um, no, I mean, I, I can be critical of the things that I view, but I always tend to be slightly less critical of Disney things. Um, mm-hmm. And then sometimes people point things out to me. I'm like, wow, I don't know why I didn't think that or see that. Um, I'm a little bit more forgiving, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. No, I mean, people hate the live action remake. Hate it. Hate like so many people hate it. I didn't hate it at all. I think there's. I didn't either. I think it's. I think there's so much beauty in it. I feel like Mm -hmm. everyone was ragging on Emma Watson. I feel like Emma Watson. Like, is she the best singer on earth? No, but like, I feel like if anyone was to personify Belle, it's her. Like, she literally is Belle in real life. Like, she's an Mm -hmm. activist. She's smart. She's strong-willed, and she friggin' goes around the London subway hiding books for people to find. Like, she literally is Belle. Like, yeah. So I, I I am was more glad of her casting. Regard, I mean, should you mm-hmm. cast someone who could sing better? Perhaps I guess. But um, I wasn't mad with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but they give kind of a little bit of a backstory in there of mm-hmm. the like mother kind. I don't really remember. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen the live action a million times, but I didn't hate it. I guess. Yeah. Well. It's interesting that you bring it up because, again, my sibling and I saw it because we both, and that cast also, that cast is top-notch, top-to-bottom. Again, they found a perfect cast. Um, Disney loves using Josh Gad. I mean, 
just I just watched Artemis Fowl. Disney loves Josh Gad. Um, but, you know, you sign enough movie contracts with him, it's fine. Um, but, yeah, there were things that they expounded upon that was a longer movie because it felt more like the musical, which the musical is two and a half hours and sometimes feels like a long two and a half hours. Oh, my um, God, the musical. Uh, just a quick uh, little tangent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so the... Um, I remember seeing it on Broadway, and I remember being floored, 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 floored at the transition scene. Like, when mm-hmm. he transitioned from, uh, so he, like, if anyone hasn't seen it on the Broadway version, in my memory as a five-year-old anyway, the body, the beast, like, kind of floats up and starts rotating around, and there's, like, kind of strobe light effects, like, kind of of, like, those, like, mystical water thing, raindrops that happen in the movie. And then all of a sudden he stops spinning, and he's the prince. And you're like, yeah. you're like, where? Like, it's not like you saw costume parts fall. You didn't see, and the like mm-hmm. strobe didn't seem like it. Just literally was stage mm-hmm. magic. Mm-hmm. So then I go to Spain, and I was in Madrid, and uh, there's like a little Madrid Broadway kind of. And I was like, I feel like I should see something. And I walked past La Bella La Bestia, and I was like, Oh, this is what I'm gonna see. Granted, it'll be in Spanish. Granted, I won't know what the hell they're saying. But like, the story transcends, and who cares? And I'm familiar <laughs> with the songs, and I'm gonna go. And I hadn't seen it since seeing it. This as a five year old, uh, or however old I was when I saw the Broadway version. And I was so, and I was going with my friends like, just wait until you see the transition. You're gonna be like, I was like, hugging it and uh, let me tell you, their production value. Like someone <laughs> literally, someone literally came over, like threw a rug over the beast. You see him like a lump under the rug, rustling around, changing, and then he like stands up and throws the rug off. You see like, the beast head plop out the side. I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> it was very different than my memory of. And then like, it was so funny to see the Spanish version. One, my other favorite difference was their Mrs. Potts was like not plump, like she was like thin and sassy, like she was like going around like smacking people with her spout, and I was like, what? Okay, I'm all for like creative license here, but I was like, I don't remember Mrs. Potts smacking people around. That's like the telenovela version. Um, Speaking of telenovela, I love. Sorry, um, Pedro no, Harris telenovela uh, cameo in yes. Enchanted. <laughs> yes, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. That movie was so smart at how many people they threw into that fucking movie. Um, it's just so. Go back and check out my Enchanted episode with Heather Gilbert uh, to to hear more about those lovely, lovely Easter eggs. Um, and I'm glad you bring up the musical because we will get there because I want to talk about it because it is kind of an important part of this yeah. legacy of the story of Beauty and the Beast. Um, but yeah, I think there were things that I didn't realize I wanted answers or more parts of the story that I wanted to know until the live action happened. Um, and they they spent some more time, and so we got some more ideas of like who these were. We learned more about magic and things, and those were moments that despite some of the weaknesses of the live action, I think overall it's a really powerful. I enjoy rewatching it. I probably rewatch it once every couple of months since it's come out. Um, when it's, since it's been on streaming, I find it a very enjoyable film. If you get past Emma Watson, she's not the strongest singer. Um, but she just, I think she looks like Belle. I think everybody's great in that movie. And I think the design of that movie is very smart with the, with the exception of the yellow dress. I hate the yellow dress. And well, and that, was because Disney wanted to um, dress they could easily um, 
uh, mass produce. And so they built it for the movie as they would to mass produce it for toys, which I get. But like, I think it's because they learned with Elsa, they had a problem and they could not replicate that Elsa dress. Well, and they went, well, shit for the live action Beauty and the Beast. We got to do something but easier. Um, but yeah. And so this, I think as just looking at it as the animated feature, I think, it is a clear and concise story. It's a story I love. It's a story we all connect with, and it's a story that I keep wanting to go back to. I like living in this world. It's a world that's vibrant and beautiful and fun, and um, it's a it's a world that is out of time because I can't figure out where in history it's supposed to be. So it's fine. <laughs> it's a tale as old as... Tale as old as time is true. So I think, you know, I think... Oh, there's not a ton more we could say about it just because, like, it's it's good and there's, uh, you know, a lot of good. This was when they were, like, learning their new forms of production and they were building production as as they go and kind of as it was supposed to be. So I've, I'm we'll cover a lot of that in our pre-show, so there's no need for us to kind of go through it here. Um, but let's talk, we'll talk the live action just a little bit plot-wise. We'll talk about it from a storytelling standpoint because, again, we brought up that they did some things. We got some answers that I didn't know we needed. But I think as an adult... I I, I now I'm like, oh, I needed this. I wanted this. Um, and then we'll talk about the musical. Uh, because, again, they're all parts of a whole because they're both intrinsically all informed by the one before it. And they're all inspired by the version before it. So the live action, I actually liked this idea that it went so beyond because my sister always brings up. She goes, I never thought about why everyone just forgot about this castle, this ruler. Like what kingdom is he ruling over? Like, that's the thing um, where in the live action that the village is actually part of the kingdom and they all work at the castle. They all provide things for the castle. And it's why everybody in the village is kind of grumpy and they feel lost because part of them is gone and they're not allowed to remember it. And so having the enchantress is more part of that, I thought actually worked really well in putting us in a place of time between two having it where Adam and his castle existed prior to the first French Revolution, and we're living sometime between the two French Revolutions or after the Napoleonic Revolution, I think it's actually really smart giving us a moment in time. One, costuming-wise, we can pinpoint in of what everyone should look like to create some dissonance between the castle and the, the village, which I think is important. Um, it's also important that Belle and her father came there after the curse started, I'm assuming, because they are not lost the same way everybody else is and it's kind of why they're why they're and also making Gaston a soldier and making him bloodthirsty and also arguably someone brought up I think Gaston is actually because Gaston showed up just after the well like Gaston as an adult came back from war after the curse and so the question is is Gaston actually part of the curse is he always keeping people away it's it's this weird thing of um Maybe him dying as part of the curse having to be broken. I don't know. That's people getting really into it. Um, but I thought Luke Evans was a great Gaston. I thought adding music from... Oh, man. And I'm so happy that he's, like, publicly out again, like, dating a very hot man, and he's taking lots of photos in in, in uh, Speedos. I'm here for it. Yeah, he's just fine. Also, he's a great singer. Um, Do you like the um, exclusively gay moment? Is, is that what Disney kept calling it? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's fine. It makes sense that that 
LeFou would be into Gaston. And Josh is a very soft straight man anyway. Like he's very Josh Gad is naturally kind of effeminate in a way that of like when we're when we're categorizing straight like, man, is he straight? Uh, yeah, got, yeah, he's married with kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was during Book of Mormon when I saw Book of Mormon right before I left New York. I was like, oh, he's kind of cute. He's a sweet, like, little fluffy boy. And then my friend was like, oh, he's, like, super straight. And I went, what? What? Um, and so I guess there's the thing of if you're making a character gay just to make them gay, we don't need that. Um I would have liked them to lead a little more into that. Like there was the other guy that actually liked LeFou um, and that he liked when he was put in drag. Like there's all that, like that character is actually, I think it's Stanley cause he's Tom Dick or Stanley. They're that three. They utilize the three of them from the song. Um, you know, that's one of those moments that everybody got really bent out of shape for. And like, I think it's because we can, we, we should, ex- because Disney's always supported the LGBT community publicly. Um, and like as cast members, they were the first ones to give domestic partner benefits. Um, you know, they've always had a pride organization that raises money and does community works within parks. Like, they've quietly always really supported LGBT people, but like, because they know most of their viewers are super conservative, they have always been afraid to like put things in. And so I would have liked them to go a little heavier into it, give it to us, make it blatant, um, make it a queer actor. There are so many amazing gay actors out there. Um, like, hear me out. I think Alex Newell would have been a hilarious LeFou. Like, hilarious. Um, but, you know, there were those things where, like, Emma Thompson, great Mrs. Potts. She was a different Mrs. Potts. But, like, and the story moments they gave us um, were really nice. And um, the only thing is I know you have to put a new song in there that has never been written before for the Oscars. I love Evermore, but I also love If I Can't uh, Love Her from the musical, which is the end of act. It's the act one finale in the musical. It's so good. And Dan Stevens would have sounded beautiful singing it, but I loved Evermore. I thought it was great. Josh Groban also, Bay of Bay. I love him. I love that he did the pop version of it. Um, yeah, so like really from top to bottom, I think the the additional story elements that we got to make the live action about two and a half hours were really great. I really liked them. I thought it was stunning visually. And you could tell that they weren't trying to remake the original. It was a love letter to the original that they were just expounding upon. And I thought it was fine. And again, there were some things where I went, oh, we don't need all of this. But like, I enjoyed every moment of that movie too. I just, I think I just love Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. I mean, you remember it seemingly a lot better or than I do. Um, but I agree. I, th- I remember like of the live action remakes, I mean, everyone tears them mm-hmm. apart and I'm like, you need to stop trying to compare or expect it to be the original like it's its own thing I think for the I mean the only one I really remember being like bored during was Lion King and I think there was a lot of great moments in Lion King but just like Mm -hmm. the magic was lacking Mm -hmm. or there wasn't Mm -hmm. like um, but other than that I thought the other ones I mean they're all visually beautiful I think there's oh, and I did not like the Alice in Wonderland ones. I thought those. Really oh, cool. I didn't, and I didn't like, I didn't like Aladdin either. I didn't care for Aladdin. I liked Aladdin. I think um, Speechless is great. I think the way they dance in it is very <clears throat> weird. I'm like, are they dancing on fast folk? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. They they sped everything up, which again, it's it's Guy Ritchie trying to do a musical and that didn't work for me. I think Cinderella is one of their most successful so far. Also, because it was their first. 
Um, it's really beautiful. And they, they made it another version of a genre film, which I thought was interesting. And I'm looking forward to Mulan. I'm looking forward to actually getting to see that in theaters. Um, I have a friend who, um, I guess she works in film distribution, and she said that Mulan, I was like, oh, because I heard rumors that they would release it into Disney+, Plus, maybe mm-hmm. early, and she was like, no, 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 never going to happen. She's mm-hmm. like, um, this is one of the best movies our studio has made in years, years and years. And she said, mm-hmm. by far the best of any of the anime, of the live action remakes. She said it is like the clips of it that she's seen are stunning. And she's like, it is so good. And like, they know they're going to make the money from it and they're going to release it. They're going to wait until it can be released. Which I think is really smart. It is insanely smart. And that is one of those movies that like Artemis Fowl, I think I could have absolutely seen on my iPad and it was fine. But Mulan, I want to see on a movie screen. I want to, it's like in the Heights when everybody was like, Oh, I wish in the Heights would just get put out in July and we could all watch it at home. And I was like, no, I want to see that movie on the big screen, the biggest screen I can with an audience because of someone that I saw in the Heights eight times on Broadway. Like I, it is an actual spiritual experience and I like it better than Hamilton. Don't come for me. But like, I, there are just some movies that you need to see on a big screen. And I think Disney movies are like that. There are just some things that you need to see big and experience with other people and feel the magic. I just got chills just thinking about the Heights trailer. <laughs> that, that moment, that moment you hear, um, um, the grandma, abuela. So. Oh, oh, and it's Olga Medides again, who she's just so good. Oh, and she's in that tunnel surrounded by the neon light. I'm so excited. Um, whew, uh, Lin-Manuel's Disney. Now we can talk about him on here. It's fine. Oh, um, one thing that we did not talk about when we were talking about animated, and I'm curious your thoughts on, what do you mm-hmm. think of um, the male, the once the beast transition, Adam, what do you think of him? <laughs> Ooh, one, I love it. He's got, the, like, that ginger blonde hair. Okay, can I tell you, it's the one thing that always stuck with me. I love that when he turns around, he's bottom lit. They give him bottom lighting. So he's lit up like his painting was, and it's so statuesque. He looks like the David. Like, the thing is, they made him look like the most pleasing like facial structure. I think he's super cute. I think he's super handsome, yeah. I mean, he's very white bread. He's white bread. Like, he's totally white bread. No, because I, I, I feel like I thought that, like, that was, like, the general consensus with people that he's, like, kind of, pardon to say ugly, but, like, not, like, I mean, like, <laughs> I feel like that's, I don't know. No, no, no. I just feel like that was, like, the general consensus of what people thought. And you think the complete opposite. That's really that's really what I want to know then from people at home. You guys have to tell us, do you think Prince Adam is hot? Do you, I mean, I have friends who are like, I think he's hot as the beast. Yes, hot or not. We'll bring back hot or not. We'll bring back hot or not. Um, oh, that'd be a fun BuzzFeed. Where's that quiz? I want it to look like a tender screen, but it's all the Disney princes. Give us that because I will I will I will super like Li, uh, Li Sheng and I will uh, I will super like Naveen. Ooh, they're my favorite. Um, Naveen. Ooh, I got to tell you, Disneyland Paris has some of the most beautiful Naveen uh, face characters I've ever seen in my life. They are so beautiful. Disney, um, international 
park. Can we just talk about the Beauty and the Beast ride? <gasps> the Beauty and the Beast ride. Yes. So if nobody's seen the footage of of the it. So I think it's funny that like 30 years later, we're finally getting a dark ride for it. Also, because the Little Mermaid one is kind of lackluster, except for that giant mermaid or, or Ursula puppet, which is amazing. Wait, have um, you seen the video of, Ur- of Pat Carroll on it? Oh, yes. On the ride, yeah, her when so she's good. when Pat Carroll sees the Ursula, her laugh like is literally Ursula's laugh. It's so good, worth it just for. I, I love. Uh, I love. Oh yeah, because there's that great video of Jody Benson and Pat Carroll riding the sh- riding the ride together. And I love um, the one that I saw was was, was it just Pat Carroll? Yeah, maybe it was oh, Jody okay. Benson. I didn't re- recognize it, but uh, anyway, back to Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. That ride looks insane. It looks so good. It is the most lifelike audio animatronics of an animated property I've seen. Cause like the Navi shaman, she is beautiful. Like it is an amazing audio animatronic, but like it looks so good. And you're in like a teacup that can go up and de- like side to side. Like it looks so good. It's a trackless ride. You're in beast castle. It's supposed to open in Tokyo Disneyland this year or this coming year for the anniversary. I don't know if that will happen now, but they're reopening slowly. So maybe I hope like it's another reason why where I'm like, like, oh, you're in the castle, but then also moments where it looks like or visually it looks like you come out of the castle and you're in the mm-hmm. snow and like mm-hmm. uh, it just looks like and just yeah. everything in Tokyo Disney is so impressive that I can't imagine how the, if this is just like the preview peak that we got, like what it will actually mm-hmm. be like. Me too. I can't. I can't between that and then the um, like Pascal that a princess can hold. They have the meet and greet Rapunzel that they're gonna. She's gonna be able to hold a Pascal that has no wires attached to it. And he like, yeah, I believe it's in Japan. And like he can move and interact and change emotions and like glow red and glow all these things. And it's so cool. And it was just an Imagineer, and she had him on her hand, and he was like doing all these things. But he doesn't need hydraulics for the first time. He's electric or something. But it's it's all very. Very cool, and I love that Beauty and the like. The company is just committed to Beauty and the Beast. Um, I like to say committed to Beauty and the Beast. I don't know the new Fantasyland part of it seems rushed. I do love be our guest. I think it's really cool to eat inside. I prefer quick service lunch to dinner. Um, but uh, you love the great to- stuff. It's delicious. It is. Just ask the dishes. Um, uh, I love Enchanted Tales with Belle. I think it's really sweet. Uh, you get to fully interact. It's a nice show. It's a nice 25 minutes in air conditioning. And they also, the audio animatronic of the wardrobe there is she's so good. Um, oh, we also didn't talk about Audra as the wardrobe in the live action, which is perfection. Perfection. I love they made her an opera singer. I just love it. I thought it was very funny because she looks like she has panniers. I think the whole thing is great. Um, yeah, so uh, Disney keeps utilizing Beauty and the Beast in such a great way. Do you think it's time for a revival of it? Or do, like, part of me is mm. like, I guess revival is such like a part of the Broadway world you know like so that like disney it's time i guess they they're what are they 25 30 years of their theatrical no uh 1994 was the first one with beauty and the beast so so it's almost 20 it's almost 20 um oh 30 yes you are correct it's 25 they did they had their 25 years of disney on broadway you are correct um a few years ago yeah. Yeah. Um, it was um, so great. And the best thing ever about it. So my favorite Broadway performer on earth of all time ever, 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 ever is Beth Level. 
from the Drowsy Chaperone. I love her. So they, um, I get there. I didn't really know who was performing, who wasn't performing. I knew it was just going to be a, a like legendary lineup. Mm-hmm. And like, I get there and I sit down and I'm flipping through the program and it's like Heather Headley, Whoopi Goldberg, this, that, that, everyone in creation. And then it says. Um, my eye glances and sees Beth Level, and literally my heart like leapt out of my heart. And I was like, "Wait, Beth Level?" Like, also because everyone who was there was like affiliated with Disney, and she's not. Like, I was like, "Why? How did she get on this roster?" And I look at what she was going to be singing, "Poor Unfortunate Souls," and I was like, "What?" I literally like yelped in my seat. I cried. And then, like, this, the thing was going along, going along, going along, and then that part came, and there was no Beth Level, and she never came out, and, like, that whole skit just got skipped over, and then after I, like, shot her a message, I think, on Instagram, or I got to interview her once, but I was like, oh, my God, I was so excited, what happened? She's, she apparently had, was homesick with the flu, but could you, um, oh, no. with the flu, oh. but could you imagine if we had a world where we had Beth Level singing Poor Unfortunate Souls for us? Oh, God, I love it so much. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Poor sweet child. It's so good. I love that. Um, no, you know what? So it would be Disney's first revival. That would be the interesting thing. Well, they just did revive Mary Poppins on the West End, but that's different um, because they didn't even redesign it. It's pretty much the same show. Um it would be their first revival. So they've done some really interesting tours. Like the last networks tour of beauty and the beast went out, looked like a German, like fairy tale book. It was really like, it was really interesting looking. Also, but, have you seen it on the cruise? Oh, the new cruise. Where it have you like seen it or action, no? Right? No, I haven't. So seen it, it is no. literally the best show on any of the ship. There's the cruise ship shows are one so amazing all of them and that's like my main i mean what do i love about the cruise seven thousand things but the one thing i love most are the shows like i love like um, my favorite way to spend a night is going to see a show when you get on that ship and you get to do it like every night you like go to dinner Mm -hmm. have a great dinner and see an awesome show and like so each ship has three main shows and this ship this being the beast show uh, is on the dream, which is why I picked my little gay gathering to be on the dream specifically because I was like, Oh, it goes along with the guest on theme. And I love that ship, but also just that show is so good that I wanted more people to get a chance to see it. And people mm-hmm. who may have not been on the cruise or whatever to like get to see that one specifically. Cause it's, so it's, a like mash up of, it has like inspirations from the original animated movie. Obviously mm-hmm. it has inspirations from, the Broadway production and then the live action. So it's not like based mm-hmm. on the live action, but right. it has like bits and pieces from Some of the, the design, design aspects. Are. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a combination of all three, and it is just so amazing and so, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I, I'm imagining that bits that they used and do for that, they would do for the revival. I agree. Well, because we've seen time and time again that like Frozen. They developed on the cruise ship, then they developed in Anaheim, then they brought it to Broadway after being in Denver. Disney never just launches into a new production. So it's one of those things, like, I think they could give us a really flashy new production of Beauty and the Beast. Um, I'm also a little disappointed that the the Aida anniversary tour has now been canceled because of COVID that was supposed to start at Paper Mill, because I love Aida. I mean, I would love to see... 
I one I didn't get to see, but if I could <laughs> get a Broadway time machine and go back in time and see one show, that would be my number one pick. Yes, mine too. Mine too, because that cast is so good. I could listen. I listen to Heather Headley sing "Easy as Life" at least once a week. But let me tell you, I would kill to see Cynthia Revo play Aida now. Like I. I just, she could do anything. I love her so much. But, so my thing is, I would love to see them, I know Disney banks on nostalgia, but I would love to see Disney develop an original musical for Disney that they then sell on Broadway, because I think it could work, because the last couple musicals they've done, with the exception of Mary Poppins, they've been fine, but they haven't sold super well and have cost so much money. Um... Because, like, Aladdin is fine. It's not the best, but it's enjoyable. I Frozen is visually stunning, but I was so bored for two and a half hours. But I enjoy. it was, like, an enjoyable, boring time. Um, but, like, it's all worth it. It's all worth it for um, the Let It Go quick change. Like, honestly, my $80 ticket, totally worth it just for that moment as a costumer. But, like... Yeah, I would love to be able to go see Beauty and the Beast at, with a big Disney production value. I would love that. That would be great for me because I think it's a musical that was never intended for community theaters and smaller theaters to do well because there is so many things that is required and there are so many bad costume rental packages out there. But like... Oh my God, have you I, ever heard um, the, you know, Forbidden Broadway? Yes. yes. Have you ever heard their Beauty and the Beast spoof? Oh, yes. Beauty's, beauty's been decreased. So I guess, yep. like, as production went on, they were cutting some budgets. And I mean, I don't know if that's true, any of what they say in that song, but it is so funny. <laughs> yeah, well, Beauty and the Beast had the interesting thing of that it opened at the Palace Theater on Broadway, and it wasn't working. Like, they opened, they were out of previews, and the show still wasn't working, and they needed to move to another theater. I uh, Someone out there can... Like, the, the Palace is, like, one of the lar- like top three largest theaters yeah. on Broadway, and it literally and s- sells out. Right, and so they closed it to move to the Lawton Fontaine, which is where Little Mermaid would run. Um, and so um, they redesigned, reworked the whole show, and the Lunt version of Little Mermaid is what a lot of people like. Of being the Beast, you mean? Of, oh, yes, I'm sorry, of Beauty and the Beast. They attest that as, like, the production, even though... Because, like, they went with such big production value for the Palace version, but it didn't work. Or maybe it was a Minskoff. No, I think it was the Palace, because... Yeah, I think it was the Palace. Um, and so they moved it, because people in New York that work on Broadway will talk about Palace Beauty and the Lunt Beauty, and that they were actually two very different shows. So I do think, I think it's just interesting. Um, and that's where that came from, is like, they played it back a little, and like, they, um, they um, pulled back some of those design aspects. Um, they, uh, they, they were all of these things that just didn't yes it was the palace it ran at the palace theater from april to september of 1994 oh oh no it ran five years at the palace and then when it moved to the lunt they redesigned and reworked the show and it ran at the lunt from 1999 to 2007 where it closed um 
it w- I got to see it in June of 2007, just before they closed, which was really nice. Um, and I saw Annalisa Vanderpool from That's a Raven as Belle. <laughs> um, she was actually really good. She was really, really great. Um, but yeah, I think, so my question is, I think we need, uh, my answer to you is, I think we need to stop living in revivals, catering to what the small regional theater and community theater people will want to see when they come to New York to see that one show, one or two shows every couple of years. They need to stop pandering to that and just like, we don't need a Music Man revival. I don't care who's in it. Fuck it. I don't, we don't need it and it doesn't need to have $300 tickets. No one is worth a $300 ticket. I don't care who you are. Not even Bette Midler and Hello Dolly. Like, come for me, gays. I don't care. But like, I would rather see them either develop other things, like bring Princess and the Frog, bring Tangled, bring something else, turn an old live-action property into a musical. Like, bring me something else without a revival. But, like, will I go see it? Probably. Honestly. When I come up there. Can I tell you what I think? Can I tell you what I think, actually, what needs to what needs a new version of beauty more than Broadway does? It is Hollywood Studios. Hollywood Studios needs a new version of Beauty and the Beast because she is crusty. Oh, she's bad. She is crusty. Those suits and the high ponytails of the ensemble and those hot pink cake dresses at the end. That show is a mess. And I, I mean, again, I can never speak for the company. This isn't anything. I'm speaking of myself. I heard rumblings that they were going to try and rework the Hollywood Studios production to look like the Cruise Line production and be closer to the Cruise Line production and rework it because it just, it needs help. It's sad and beauty. It's the only version of Beauty and the Beast that I don't like. But if somebody's never seen it, I make them sit sit through it because uh, like, everybody has to. Endure it. <laughs> Endure it. It's only 25 minutes. <laughs> we'll get under the awning. It'll be shady. It'll be fine. Oh, man. Yeah, it's not <laughs> good. We'll get a boozy milkshake from Pops over at 50s Primetime before we go, and then we'll get sick because we just ate a boozy milkshake at 2 in the afternoon in July. Um, but I think Beauty and the Beast endures, and I think it will forever, like Mary Poppins, be a jewel in the memory of the company. It will be one of those movies that always stands out for people as a Disney legacy. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show with me again, Michael. I just always enjoy just hanging out and chatting with you. Uh, I hope everything gets reopened soon so you can come hang out with me in the parks. We can do videos for everyone. It will be fun. Uh, but yeah, I so um, you gave us a little bit of an idea of where we could find you online. But give us a teaser here so that everybody can put down their phones and go find you on their, their internet portals right now. Um, so on Instagram, I am the gay Gaston, all one word. Uh, that's my handle there. Um, same on Twitter. My Patreon is, uh, so it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Gay Gaston. I think because I have some nudity or whatever on there, uh, they put me as mature content, which makes me unsearchable in their search engine. So you literally have to type in the URL to find me or use my little link that I post around. But whatever, you know, it is what it is. Um... And then, like I mentioned, the Gay Gathering Cruise was going to be this September. I think I may postpone it. Well, one, um, I was doing it when I did it because it was my birthday weekend and also, Mm -hmm. like, the first weekend of Halloween cruises and Halloween on the ships are amazing. Mm -hmm. 
So I may postpone it till next year, that same weekend, or I may consider doing it. I know the new ship is coming out because it would be amazing to do it on there. It just depends on like the itineraries and price points <laughs> of that. Um, and I purposely chose this one because it was a three-day cruise. So I figured it, and over a three-day weekend it happened to be, so I just figured it was <laughs> easiest for people to commit. But I will post the hell about it once I re- pick a new date. Um, but thank you so, so much for having me and for getting me to temporarily be out of the funk they've been in. And um, thank you all for listening and anyone who requested me coming back allegedly. Thank you. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> My name is Hans Martin Jr., your real movie critic. If you enjoy discussing upcoming movie news, looking at new trailers, and reviewing the year's hottest movies, then tune in to... Hey, 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 Hans, What? Are you doing the promo without me? Uh, yeah, I am. How come? Because everyone knows I'm the better host of this podcast. Oh, it's like that, huh? You think you can review movies better than me. Uh, I don't think I can. I know. Oh, we'll see about that. This is... The Real Movie Critic. Versus... The Cine Guy. Mondays only at CertainPOV.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. You're going down, critic. Bring it on, guy. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to another episode of the Dole Up in Dreams podcast. It has been a wild year and some change, and so remember there are only two episodes left of Dole Up in Dreams, but starting January 1st, we will become Saturday Morning Confidential, and I can't wait for all of you to listen there. Don't forget to check out Inklings, which premieres every weekday on the Dole Up in Dreams feed, as well as Isolation Cast Voices from Quarantine. We need... Need, need, need your likes, subscribes, ratings, and reviews and downloads every day. I know it sounds crazy, but it really does help us out. As always, thank you to all of our patrons on Patreon. There is a special going on right now. Any new patrons we get for $2 a month or more will get a special Dolphin Dreams merchandise package. And don't worry, our current patrons, you all will get one as well. This will ship in January. But only takes two dollars to show us that you love what we do and you can't wait for the future now join us next time as senegai steve from here at certain pov and i take a deep dive into the incredibles now may your days be filled with the whip and dreams cpov certain pov.com